Now we're taking just a, a brief two-week break. If you've been here at all uh, this fall, you know we've been talking about Exodus, and last week we actually heard from Travis as he described uh, the text, or explained the text as uh, Moses found his wife, Zipporah, and so it's fitting that we're going to take a couple weeks to talk about marriage. Uh, it was long planned, though, that we would do this. It's because uh, we're actually offering uh, through our counseling center and, and uh, the counselors that are a part of that, a marriage enrichment class that will uh, be a, 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 a taking place here on Sunday afternoons starting at 3 o'clock on November 3rd and every week following that before Thanksgiving. Uh, we would love to have you, if you are married or thinking about getting married, be a part of that. It's going to be some uh, large group teaching, small group interaction, and then even if there's uh, needs for counseling, the counselors will be there to talk to you. Uh, but this is kind of just to seed our minds and get us heading in that direction. You can sign up today or next week as uh, we get ready for that class. But I want to talk to you about marriage. I've been here for 15 years. I've talked about this often from lots of different texts. Uh, but I think it's just something that we need to revisit over and over and over again because marriage is uh, the chief relationship that God has granted mankind here on earth. Others are important too. Uh, children, child, child-parent relationships, friendships, uh, family relationships, extended family, certainly. Uh, but uh, marriage is, is a biggie. And marriage is one of the places where our adversary loves to attack. He knows if he can... If he could get a wedge in a marriage, he can wreck a family. If he could do that in enough uh, marriages, he can dissuade those who follow Christ from even coming to church and being a part of, uh, of the family of God. So we're going to talk about it for the next couple weeks. And I personally am grateful for the marriage that God has blessed me with. Uh, in February, it'll be 28 years that I have been married. And uh, yep, thank you. Me too. Uh, uh, love my wife. We had a great, uh, our weekends are kind of brief. They start Friday night at five and then usually around lunch, lunchtime on Saturday because of our work schedules. But uh, we always try to get a, you know, a, a good time in there, whether it's dinner on Friday or breakfast on Saturday or both. <laughs> and so we uh, woke up yesterday morning and went to the crackhead barrel and had some uh, good pancakes and <laughs> the pancakes are crack. That's just, that's what they are. Uh, but we hung out there and, and uh, just had a great morning together and, and laughed and reconnected. And, and then uh, later in the afternoon, I got uh, some information uh, through an email. And so I decided to forward it to her. So I texted her. And, and then I was just playful. I'm a husband. I'm playful, right? I say some, you know, provocative things in my emails every once in a while, right? And so she'll send me some things back. And we'll just kind of, you know, text, ha, 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 tee, hee, giggle. We're about five texts into this text strand. And I realized that I had used a text strand earlier from the week that we had shared with my sister, Kirsten. That's always fun, right? So, so five texts in, I'm like, hey, Kirsten, wow, sorry, awkward, so awkward. And she texted back this morning after Eleanor apologized as well. She's like, are you kidding? Best laugh I've had in years, you know, and, and uh, um, yeah. So just be careful when you start texting, make sure you're not tapping on that stuff. I also spent yesterday afternoon hanging out with, uh, as, as is kind of in the season that I'm in, uh, what happens with Saturdays is I start my work week, I, I sit down with a couple who's getting married, and uh, this particular couple, you know, just had a great time talking with them, and uh, they're going to be, they're just going to do awesome in their marriage, but uh, I'm just kind of around it a bunch as a pastor. I get to uh, be a part of the, the happy days that are weddings. I get, a, I get to be a part of the tougher days when marriages. I uh, kind of need to come into the shop and uh, get thrown up on the lift and, and see what's going on. Uh, but uh, regardless of, uh, of where we are in our relationships, if we are married or if we're going to be married, um, it's going to probably start with some vows. That's just 
traditionally how marriages get started. You probably stood in, if you're married, uh, stood in front of some official, a pastor or someone else, and, and basically said something like this, in the name of God, I, and then you put your name in there, take you, and then you put your spouse's name in there, uh, to be my husband or my wife, whichever pertains. And, and you said these things. You said, I'm going uh, to take you to have and to hold from this day forward, right? And then come the, the polar opposite things that you promised. And uh, I'll, I'll have and hold you uh, for better, for worse, right? For richer or for in sickness and in, yeah. I'm going to love and cherish you until death do us part. And then the very older uh, or the oldest versions of these vows, uh, we see the, the officiant asking the, the ones taking the vows to say this, this is my solemn vow. I mean it. I promise. Next week we'll talk more about how marriage isn't a contract, never was meant to be, some legal, uh, legally binding agreement between two parties. Um, it's way more than that. It's a covenant created by God for two people to make with him and then to make with each other. These vows, when kept, open the door to a life of inestimable joys. I mean, truly, marriage for me, like if you, if you listed my top 10 things that have happened in my life, marriage is like seven of them. You know, maybe my kid snuck in there. I had a good game once in college playing basketball, but <laughs> Eleanor's like one through seven. It's, uh, it's something that God has blessed us with, not just for the procreation of children, not just for the, you know, the building blocks of society. It's, it's a grace that we've been given But it depends on whether or not we keep the vows. Because when we break the vows, marriage can be one of the greatest curses and deepest sorrows that a human ever faces. Lots of them end. Some of them persist, but they're miserable. And it all depends on what we do with them and what we do with these vows that we make. If you think about it, marriage is one of these... Um, I won't say gambles, but it's kind of a gamble. Like if you, if you put odds on something, currently marriage is 50-50. Like even in the church, and some statistics say it's even worse in the church. But how many of us, if, if we knew that when we got in our cars after this service and drove home, someone was going to be standing at the door and flipping a coin, and if it's heads, we make it. If it's tails, we're going to get hit by the train down in Clay. Who's getting in their car? Is anybody getting in their car? I mean, I'm not going to tell you, but you got a 50-50. We got coyotes in my neighborhood right now. We got this little 11-pound dog, Toby. And we used to just, Toby's a great dog. We just opened the door and he'd run out and do his business and come back in. Um, but we sense that there's probably a greater chance now that he might be dinner. And so there are new precautions that have come into play since the coyotes came to town. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like so many other things, we want to know exactly what our chances are on something before we venture. But with marriage, we're just so like, ah, here we go. It's in bad taste to even talk about those stats before someone gets married, right? Don't mention that. That's true. What those stats prove to me is that uh, the things that people bring to marriage aren't probably the things that God has prescribed for marriage. Like, like if marriages fail, one or both people aren't doing it right. 
They're not honoring God in the ways that he's meant for them to honor him with each other. And if you think about it, um, we, we don't do a lot in life without um, understanding its purpose before doing it. Like if I handed you this, this bottle of pills and said, here, this will help you with your cold. If you didn't read on here what the recommended dosages were for your age or weight or something like that, uh, and just kind of open, oh, thank you so much, open the top and just slammed all of them, would anybody be like wondering about your sanity? Well, it's because you, you wouldn't have been using this as prescribed, taking this as directed. It says on most of these bottles, the warning, use only as what? Directed. Don't, don't do it otherwise. But we come to marriage and in lots of life, not just marriage, but we come to, you know, marriage specifically as we talk about it these next two weeks and we're like, well, I'm going to just do what the hell I want. I know there's ways that God wants it to work, but this is how I want it to work. Well, it's just not going to work that way. It's not how he created it to function. So is great marriage possible? I want to encourage everybody in here. Yes. Some of you are in the middle of one right now. God bless you. If God has granted you uh, with a um, you know, a tranquil and satisfying relationship, awesome. Some of you, that's not describing your marriage. And you're wondering, is it possible for our marriage to be okay, to be better, to, to flourish? The answer is yeah. By God's grace and with your help and the other person's help, things can get better. Some of you aren't married yet. In fact, if you're not married yet and you hope someday to maybe be married, could you just put your hand up real quick? Just hold it up there. Okay, everybody look around real fast. Everybody look around. Everybody see everybody? <laughs> These are the potentials, I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe you can meet in the foyer after we're done. <laughs> but for you who are awaiting this day, like statistics still bear out, we're, we're not marrying as much as we did in 1960. Before uh, 1960, uh, nine out of 10 25-year-olds were married. It's lesser now, but still really high, like seven. Most of us, you know, it's, it, let, me, let me say this. If you're single, that's totally fine. In fact, there's lots of great things about being single. Don't feel like God has forsaken you if, if you're not going to be married. And some of you are looking at me being like, dang straight, Mark. That's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but whatever God has for you, and if it is marriage, you might be wondering, is it possible for it to be good? Absolutely. God designed it to be good. We just have to use only as directed. So we're going to dig into marriage and talk about these vows that God wants us to make. Um, I'm going to speak on some vows that are a little different from maybe the ones that you um, said in your service, in your ceremony, uh, but they're going to pertain to a lot of the same ideas. I pulled them egregiously from a book by a guy named Jimmy Evans. I'm not even trying to hide it. I just totally stole this. So uh, uh, he wrote a book called Marriage on the Rock. And, uh, and here's the four vows that I want to cover with you over the next week. As, as married people or as people who will be married someday, we need to understand that we need to take a vow of priority. Everything in life starts with, you know, us setting some priorities, some, uh, some, some most important. And so we're going to talk about this vow of priority today. We're also going to talk today about the vow of pursuit, how marriage is meant to be a lifelong pursuit of your spouse. Next week we'll talk about the, prior, or the, the vow of uh, partnership. And accompanying that, we'll talk about the vow of purity. And you'll have to come back next week to hear about those. But we're going to do all of this uh, from just a couple verses in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, Moses, the writer of the first five books of your Bible, um, 
describes what's happened at creation and, and then kind of pulls out and commentates. He kind of says this is what a marriage is about. And so we're going to read these verses together. Everybody stand up. They probably already flashed on the screen, but just real quick, it'll just take a second. In fact, if it's too much for you, you just, just stand up. Here we go. All right. Uh, read with me. Everybody with me? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May God bless the reading of his word. Have a seat. Uh, this is probably a familiar text for most of you in here. Maybe some of you, you're kind of new to the book. Let me explain. Your Bible opens with the book of Genesis. It tells us the story of creation, how God created everything that is. On the sixth day of his creation, he made a dude, Adam, the first man. And Adam kind of lived, we don't know exactly how long, but he lived on this earth as God's vice regent, his caretaker. He was there to tend and care for creation. Uh, he named a lot of the animals, all of the animals. And, uh, but, but God looked at him at some point in creation and said, you know, it's not good for him to be alone. And he says, we're, we're going we're gonna to solve that. And so from his rib, he extracted one rib and he, and he fashioned for Adam a, a partner, a woman. Uh, and Adam, uh, the Bible tells us, was so excited to meet his wife, he sang a song. Does your wife inspire you to sing songs? Adam busted into this tune and, and glorified God for giving him uh, his wife Eve. And then Moses pulls out of that story here in Genesis 2, 24 and 25 and, and basically describes marriage. He sums it up beautifully. In the verbs, we see the vows that he wants us to make in our marriage. So let's cover the first one. In verse 24, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That uh, Hebrew word there, that verb is hazab. Everybody say hazab. Pretty good. Nice Hebrew. It means to loosen or relinquish. It signifies, especially in the culture as Moses was writing it, this leaving of all that you've known. If you grew up uh, in a Hebrew culture in the Middle East in those days, uh, your mother and your father were all you knew. I mean, you, you would have other relationships with extendeds, but for the most part, you just stayed at home, did what your dad did as, he, as you grew up. You took over what he was doing and the family estate. And, and even as you married, if you were boys, you would come back and you would live on the father's uh, land. You know, go to Israel these days and still in that culture, there'll be these huge, massive houses that they keep adding rooms to so that members of the family can come home and live uh, with the father and the mother. Uh, to leave your father and your mother then was this picture of uh, changing your priorities, relinquishing or releasing what had mattered most before for what will now matter most in life. The, uh, the songwriters of our day have referred to this pursuit of a spouse, of a, of a significant other as finding the one. Has anybody ever heard that, right? Shania sang, still the one I long for. Still, yeah, there's all kinds of songs. I'm going to stop singing now. But we hear all these songs that talk about the one, right? And I, I grew up believing that. I was searching for my one. I just need to find the one. In fact, in my uh, Bible in, uh, in college, I went to Moody Bible Institute, and my uh, sister that I was texting the funny stuff to uh, gave me this Bible before I started. And I read uh, Proverbs 31. I was just starting to come online with Jesus, and so I started reading the book. And in Proverbs 31, I read about this woman, read it yourself, uh, it's a description of an ideal wife and an ideal woman, and uh, I was just, wow, that, that's a great girl, and gratefully I have my Proverbs 31 in life and my wife Eleanor, but at that time I hadn't met her yet. And so, as this picture will show you, uh, I got done reading Proverbs 31 and I said, wait for her, Mark, that's my 19-year-old 
handwriting. Uh, I met Eleanor a little while later, and we uh, dated, broke up, dated, broke up, and the second time we broke up, I wrote in the same area, keep waiting, right? Because <laughs> apparently it's not her. But then we got back together again, and uh, I got engaged, and after we got engaged, I went back in the Bible, and I wrote, done waiting. Oh, yeah, that's very nice. Anyway, but here's something that I was missing, something I didn't understand about this pursuit of um, my one. She was never meant to be my one. Because the Bible's always been very clear who the one is. I've talked to you about it before in my time with you. But if you're new to us, here's what we believe. In marriage, God is my one and my spouse is my two. Now those are the priorities. In any married person's life or any person who will enter into marriage, God is always first and then your spouse is always second. And marriage will flourish, or have the better chance to flourish, at least, if this vow is made and kept. I had learned early in my life that this was true. I just hadn't computed it yet. The first verse I remember memorizing as a young uh, Christian guy, a little kid, was Matthew 6, 33, where it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? And then everything else that matters in life, all the other things that you need that God wants you to have, they'll come. They'll be added to you, but just keep him first. Jesus, as he was questioned one day about the greatest commandment, uh, said this from Deuteronomy. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then others, as you love yourself, he, he didn't exclude people and by doing so exclude a spouse. But, but he said, listen, the chief aim the chief goal of anyone created by me, which is everyone, is to love me, honor me, put me first ahead of everything else. So to summarize, if you're here today and you hope someday to marry, uh, my prayer for you is that you will honor the one while you prepare for your two. If you're here this morning and you are currently married, my, my prayer for you is that you in your marriage will honor the one as you seek to give up your life for the sake of your two. Now, failing to establish these priorities has consequences. That's why uh, as the Ten Commandments open, Moses wrote those two, they're coming up in our series in Exodus. Uh, the first one was, you'll have no other gods before me. The second was, don't have any idols. They're kind of, it seems almost redundant. It's like you said it already, but, but he, he just wanted to emphasize and make clear, I'm meant to be your one. But here's what happens in relationships. Unwittingly, subconsciously, we displace God with a person. And we put upon the person uh, this, this pressure to, to be like God for us, to, to be our source and our answer for everything in life. Romance is like that. It'll just sweep us up, right? Remember when you fell in love with whoever you fell in love with? And just how in those early days they could do no wrong? It was all, you know, butterflies and frolics in the meadow, yeah? Some people make it to the altar and they've never un understood this, this priorities uh, of having God first and, and seeing them as, as their two. And so they make them their God and then they marry them. And three months later, they're like, wait a minute. This is not what I signed up for. I thought you were God. It's... It's these two extremes. We, we, if, we, if we get caught up in, in these missed priorities, we idolize the person, and then we marry them, and we realize that they weren't what we thought, and so shortly after, we demonize. And everything that they are, 
flows through this disappointment of what we thought we would, they would be. <laughs> so we need to be very protective, steadfast and adamant to not let anything encroach on these priorities. Lots of things that, that will lead us away from right priorities aren't even necessarily bad things. It can be benign or good things that just aren't prioritized cor- correctly. Like in marriage, if, if you're newly married here, if God has kids for you in your future, one of the chief ways that I see marriage is getting out of whack is that um, the, the husband and the wife stop being boyfriend and girlfriend. They stop having God as their one and each other as their two, and they take their kids and they kind of shove them up in front. Sometimes in front of God as their one, which is weird, and then certainly in front of their spouse as their two. And all of a sudden, your only identity is parent, co-parents, sharing a roof and some bills. You start calling each other mom and dad instead of babe and hot cheeks or whatever you call each other, right? <laughs> we don't call each other hot cheeks. Just so you know. <laughs> but that fails to recognize that children are a temporary assignment and marriage is a lifelong covenant. And I I can't tell you how often I see children leave the home and the spouses look at each other and be like, who are you? What do we got here? It's alarming to watch people I love after 30 years of marriage not be married anymore. My sister's one of them. I just don't get it. But that's what can happen when the priorities change. There's other things that can encroach, like our jobs. I don't need to go at all these. You can probably figure out yours. Matter of fact, if you want to be brave, even if it isn't something that is violating your priorities now, it's probably good for you, a good exercise to identify what could potentially be something that would pull you away from what God's list is. Now, even, even in our relationship, owners uh, help me understand that just even little things can send big messages. Uh, one of uh, my wife's rightful pet peeves is when I look at my phone when we're out on a date. Because uh, that's the new screen. <clears throat> it used to be I would just position myself in whatever bar and grill we were in where I couldn't see the game on the TV. Has anybody, anybody got that relationship? That's, that's how we figure out our seating arrangement when we would go out on a date. Just where's the TV? Okay, Mark's head is going to be back to that. That's going to be. But now I got a TV in my hand. And I can sit there, like so many people do. We were in a restaurant the other day, and we walked in, and a you know, family, two teenagers, mom and dad, sat down. And soon after getting their menus and deciding what they order, all four of them, boom. And they didn't talk until the food came. Because they all went into their screen world. Uh, you cannot not communicate, someone told me once. Did you know that? You're always, you're always saying something, even when you're not saying something. And in relationships, um, It doesn't have to be a big thing that erodes the priorities. It can be a a series of little things. And if you can't put a phone down, uh, give your focus, and I wrestle with this, I don't know what to tell you, give your focus to the one you love, you're sending a message. This is more important than you. Oh, man, that, that might be said of us. May we as a church, may we as followers of Jesus Christ have in our hearts God's priorities for our lives. May we understand that he is meant to be first. And so as we go through life in our homes, husbands, wives, parents, we seek to point everybody in our home to God first. 
We make it the church. We read our Bibles together. We pray together. We make a fuss about our God because he is worthy of first billing in our lives. But then when it comes to the other things in our life, we communicate in every way possible to each other and to those around us that my spouse is my two. Apart from God, they are the most important thing to me in life. Not my job, not my friends, not my kids, not my things. My spouse. So if you can, I'm going to let you read it, uh, but I, I want you to take this vow. Let me read it to you. I vow that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. If you can say that as a married person right now or as someone who someday, by God's grace, seeks to enter into that relationship, I want you to make that vow. And I want you to remember this day, the day that you made it. Everybody ready? Say it only if you can, but say it with me. I vow that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. Now, the second vow that we want to talk about today is uh, not unlike it, but it goes more into the actions that we need to bring into this relationship that God gives us in order for it to flourish. Because see, in marriage, I, I not only must have God as my one and, and my spouse as my two, but I must pursue my two. I've got to wake up every day to the pursuit of the one I love. I need to be willing to set aside my wants and my likes and my, my uh, you know, entitlements and, and say, for the sake of the one that God has given me, I will pursue them and seek to see them have in life, to seek to see them flourish and be happy as a result of me being with them. I was a, a young youth pastor in Pekin, Illinois, uh, 23 years old, and the women's ministry uh, came up with this idea they were going to have a medieval dinner, you know, with, uh, I don't know, rack of beast and whatever they serve at these things. And, and uh, they needed an MC, and so they came up with this idea that the young youth pastor uh, would be funny if he dressed up like a court jester and kind of oversaw the affair. Um, I didn't know at that time how to say no, and I thought it was part of my contract to say yes, and so I said yes. Um, they showed me the outfit they wanted me to wear. I thought I had kind of a Harlequin thing, you know, actually looked the part. They couldn't find that, and so somebody had an old clown costume, and so they gave me like a big hula hoop kind of clown costume looking thing with the, the fuzzy buttons and all that stuff. No wig, no nose, no makeup, just my face clown costume. That was it. A couple days before we were going to do this, they came to me and said, we've had another idea. Wouldn't it be great if your wife joined us? No. Uh, Eleanor was seven months pregnant with our uh, son, Ben, and, uh, uh, and, and, but a trooper, a true ministry wife. She was willing to do this kind of stuff. Uh, in hindsight, neither of us would have been there, but uh, uh, her especially. Like, uh, th that's kind of the, you know, take it easy on pastor's wives. They're not employed. Uh, they're not, you know, getting paid to do ministry. They do it from their hearts. And, uh, and that day, Eleanor, for her love for her young husband, Joined him on stage, pregnant with a damsel's dress on, big hat, long flowing, you know, silks coming out of it. And together, we laughed through two hours that we will never get back in life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> anybody ever had that experience? I mean, from moment one, when the woman stood up and read flat face with no expression, the description of medieval feasts for, you know, what seemed like a half an hour. Um, it just got worse from there. At the end, I was juggling dinner rolls, <laughs> trying to get the women to laugh, and they still wouldn't. 
But there she was by my side in the same way that there I was in the second seat of the two-man kayak paddling behind my wife on a river that I didn't care to be on. In the same way that she sat shotgun uh, early on as I golfed and she sweat in the Myrtle Beach humidity. In the same, I mean, I could go on. Is everybody with me? That's, that's, the, that's the pursuit of your spouse, the setting side of yourself for the sake of the other. Now, our nature <laughs> pushes us to do the exact opposite. Our nature pushes us to pursue what we don't yet have. That's what the problem with marriage is. We're kind of wired to go for what we don't have yet. And so we look at our spouses who we do have. I mean, we've locked it down. It's legal, right? And we're like, yeah, I'm going to go pursue other things now. I pursued you and I already have you. And that's just not how it's supposed to work. Oh, can't you remember the, the days that, you know, uh, before you were married, maybe, uh, I remember Eleanor was biking from Oregon to North Carolina one summer. She was crazy like that. And she was passing through the southern tip of Illinois on this bike trip. And I was working uh, up in the middle of Wisconsin at a camp and I stole, borrowed, my, uh, my buddy's car. And I drove eight hours all day to be able to spend two hours with Eleanor at the end of her bike ride before she had to go to sleep and get ready to bike another hundred miles. Um, just so I could see her face, touch her hand. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Got right back in the car and drove back that night. You do stupid stuff like that when you're in pursuit of someone, right? It was dangerous, ill-advised, and I loved every second of it. We used to get on the phone and, and we'd talk for six hours at a time, right? And then we'd fight about who was gonna hang up. You hang up, no you hang up, you hang up, no you hang up. <laughs> but then you get married. And you don't want to drive down to the corner to get a gallon of milk for the woman anymore. <laughs> and you get married. And your phone calls start with what? <laughs> I'll be home at six. And you don't even say goodbye. Now what's up with that? Complacency. Failure to pursue. We move on to other things, our careers, our kids, the other things that are before us, and we forget each other. But here's what I understand about life. It's, it's typically going to amount, life will become the product of our investments. Nothing ventured will mean nothing gained. If I put nothing into my marriage, I can count on pretty much getting nothing out of it. It's just how life works. Like, you can have... A membership to a gym, like me. But if you don't go, it doesn't help you. Often when I counsel married couples in crisis uh, and we start peeling the onion past all the, the recent offenses, we get back to a period in their lives where they just kind of did this. Instead of that picture of two people running towards each other on the beach as the surf laps up against the shore and finally meeting in that embrace. They just kind of said, well, I'm gonna go to work, you take care of the kids. Or I'm gonna go to work and you're gonna go to work. And we'll just meet on weekends and nights and share some meals and that's it. But that's not how it's supposed to be in marriage. I must pursue my two in marriage, I must pursue my two. It says in Genesis chapter two that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That Hebrew word hold fast is a, is a verb that uh, is pronounced dabak and it basically means to cling to or to adhere. Uh, but it also means in other parts of scripture, it's translated to catch by pursuit. 
to pursue hard with affection and devotion. Marriage is a mutual pursuit. Both people pursuing God, most of all, but then each other as a priority after that. Now, pursuit, just as we close, it's, it's measured in, in actions and not intentions. <laughs> pursuit uh, is, is not just this thing that should live as an idea and is in your head. It has to become real. I used to, uh, as a young husband, drive past flower shops on my way home from work, and I'd look in there, and I'd be like, I should get her flowers, but then I'd keep right on going. But I'd still go home, and I'd come up to Eleanor, and I'd say, hey, babe, I almost bought you some flowers today. <laughs> and somehow expect that that would kind of, you know, garner me some favor, and it took very little time for me to understand that's not how this works. You, you can't just report your intentions and expect that to be enough. You... you you have to go from thinking it to doing it, to being willing to set aside whatever's distracting you and making you busy, whatever's made you tired and lazy, to doing the things that will build into the love that God has given you for each other. Let me, let me give you some good action, action steps, things that you can do as you seek to pursue your spouse. You need to pursue your, your two with words. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that uh, we are to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today because um, that will help us to keep from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This, this whole admonishing and encouraging and, and speaking love, it has this protective element to it. It, it. it keeps us from falling into sin, all kinds of sin, but certainly into the sin of neglecting each other and not living according to our vows. So we should, as spouses, live for the opportunity to say thank you. Not for anything in specific, but just thank you. Thank you for being my wife. Thank you for being my husband. Thank you for providing for us, for, for, for you know, being such a great mom. For, I mean, whatever it is, just being thankful, for being complimentary. I don't know how long it took you to stop saying those pet names that you used to say for each other. I hope it hasn't. But those kinds of words are pursuits. Call her gorgeous. Tell her that you'd marry her all over again, even after all these years. Eleanor, uh, for my 50th birthday this past June, uh, gave me this gift. It's, it's a, 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 lift, a list of the 50 things I love about you. I'm not gonna read any of them. It's mine. <laughs> but this sits on my desk as a tangible reminder of my wife's love and esteem for me. And it spurs me on when I look at it in my pursuit of her. So we pursue each other with our words, but we need also to pursue each other, pursue our two with our deeds, the things that we do. So whoever knows, it says in James 4, 17, whoever, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it's sin comes right at the end of James's writing. He's kind of a staccato writer. He kind of writes these singular ideas and smashes them all together. But as he's closing his letter, he says, hey guys, if God prompts you to do something and you forget to do it, that's where this whole idea of sins of omission come in. You knew to do it and did it not. It might not seem as egregious as a sin of commission, a sin where you cross the line and break the rules, but it's still a failure. And so when we miss opportunities, to make a difference, to pursue, we're, we're subjecting ourselves to sin. So guys, if you've got little kids, 
Find ways to provide for your wife in, in the parenting of those, those people, those, those young'uns. Bathe them. Uh, get up early and make their lunches for school. Do the things that would say to your wife, I see you, I know uh, the things that are going on with you, and I want to be a partner, not just a partner, but I want to be uh, someone who loves you the extra mile. If you find yourself both overwhelmed, someone in the, in the marriage, pack a bag, schedule a trip away, surprise the other one with it. Now do just little things. Take her car or his car and fill it with gas. Write a thoughtful note and leave it on the dash. Make the bed. Watch a chick flick instead of a Rambo movie. I've learned in my years with Eleanor to, to stop at the flower shop. Not all the time, should do it more. But I certainly don't tell her that I thought of doing it. <laughs> and here's, I'll just give you a little uh, quick, you know, tip. Buying her flowers is great, guys. Buying her flowers and then taking it to her where she works, boom. Because <laughs> all the other women see it, it's great, it's awesome. <laughs> see something, sense something, feel the prompting of something, then say something. Do something. If you can say this with me, say this with me. Whether you're married now or hope to be married someday. Say, I vow that I will pursue my two. If you can say that from your heart, say it. Say it with me. I vow that I will pursue my two. It's a promise that you made. It's a covenant that we've made with God to make him our priority and our spouse our next and most, most important, to, to pursue her or him, to love them, as God has called us to love. I love that um, God has chosen to use marriage as this kind of parallel to the relationship that we have with his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, the New Testament tells us that uh, Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And we, and we see these, these vows, these priorities played out in, in, in our Savior. Because Jesus came to the earth and, and certainly he came, like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? So that whoever will believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He came so that we, the bride, could be saved from our sin. I'm so grateful. Anybody grateful for that? But you, you read his words. His chief priority was not us. It was his father. He only did what he did for us at the bidding of his father. And so Jesus modeled for us in his marriage to the church that his father is one. And his bride is his two. And if you read about Christ, as you go on in the Bible, you, you see that Christ is a pursuer. He talked about it in Luke 15. He, he told these parables of a, a shepherd who went after a sheep, of a, a widow who looked for a coin, of a father who when his son came home, he went to meet him. Our Savior is our pursuer, and he pursues us relentlessly, loves us without fail. And what does he ask for us in return? Chase him back. Pursue him. And so, even as we talk about marriage, we're talking about the gospel. If you're here this morning and you have not made God your one, that's the first step to not just rescuing your marriage, but it's the first step to having the life that God created you to have. Put your faith in him. If you're here this morning and you've made that decision and you're having failures, not just in your marriage, but in the other parts of life, I would ask, are you pursuing Christ like Christ is pursuing you? If the answer is no, then it's time to change. It's time to 
dust yourself off, shake your head a bit, and figure out where this is supposed to go. We're here to help. If you don't know Jesus, come talk to me or anybody else in here. They'd love to share with you how you can know Christ. If you do know Jesus and you're struggling, tell your life group. Tell one of our pastors. Talk to someone so that things can be different in your life. Let me pray for us. Hey, God, we come to you now grateful, mindful of all that you've given us. And Lord, as uh, we come to this incredible gift that is marriage, uh, whether we're in one uh, or awaiting one or just learning from the principles found in it, even if we'll never be someone who's married, um, would you, God, grant us your grace in understanding your hopes for us? Would you lead us to a passion for you first so that we can make uh, our spouses um, second most important on our list and help us to keep them there. Uh, Lord, forgive us for when we have failed to pursue each other and reignite in us uh, a desire to love each other sacrificially. Help us with that, God, I pray. In our relationships with you, lead us to that same kind of pursuit. Make us dogged in uh, in our chasing after you. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Will you stand with us as we sing?